Angel Heart Radio Angel Heart Radio programs should not be used to replace your legal or medical advice. Welcome everyone to Angel Heart Radio. You are our focus. We want you to know that you matter in the world and that you're important to the world. We're here to remind you of just how valuable and needed you are right now. Help us to help others. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, post, tweet, pin, let everyone know how amazing Angel Heart Radio is. So again, welcome to Angel Heart Radio. Powered by love, Angel Heart Radio is sponsored by angellight777.com. Welcome everyone to Angel Heart Radio. I'm your host, Deb Goldberg, and it brings me great pleasure to be here with you today, and it is an honor to serve you in the highest way that I can by bringing you messages of divine love and blessings for your life. You are dearly loved, cherished, and blessed. We have a great show for you tonight, but I wanted to take a couple minutes to uh send some prayers of love and peace to Anaya and her family. Anaya's father just recently passed away and the service is this coming Saturday um, in Australia. And I just wanted to say that you um, are with us in our hearts and your father is now one of the angels watching over you and Angel Heart Radio. Um, I'm sorry for your loss, Anaya. Now, Anaya does have a show on Angel Heart Radio that is every other Friday, USA time, 8 p.m., Saturdays, 10 a.m., Queensland time. And our other podcaster is Annette McCoy, and her show is on Tuesdays at 8 p.m., USA time, Eastern, and her show is Wednesdays, 10 o'clock, Queensland time. You can also reach Angel uh, Anaya at angellight777.com. And if you're interested in knowing any more about me or working with me or my books, you can find me at debbieandgoldberg.com. You can find my books, Are You Ready to Listen God and God's Covenant on Amazon. And I'm really excited to tell you that Volume 3, which completes the set, will be out um, for Christmas. And that book is called The Scripture of Heaven. The series is called A Divinely Ordered Life. I wanted to also give you tonight's call-in phone number. It's 714-583-6858. It is also, we are running a fundraiser tonight for Island Dolphin Care. This Saturday, they will have their fundraiser at Playa Largo in Key Largo, Florida. For those of you who can't make it to the event, you can donate through their website at www.islanddolphincare.org, and every dollar counts. I want to introduce my guest tonight, um, Dina Hoagland, who is the founder of Dolphin Island Care and author of Breaths That Count. Dina and her husband had two children while living in Colorado. Their second child, a son, was born with a rare heart anomaly. Their son suffered a stroke during an open heart surgery with 
left him neurologically impaired. It was then that Dina brought her education, creativity, and desperation together. She stumbled upon a small dolphin facility where she brought her son to swim. It was there that they made friends with the owners, but more importantly, the friendship between her son and one particular dolphin that is largely responsible for his near 100% recovery from the stroke. Dina and her husband incorporated a not-for-profit organization, Island Dolphin Care, to help other families like their own. She's developed an innovative treatment approach to working with children with special needs, chronically ill children, terminally ill children, and most recently, our veterans and their families. All the programs provided at Island Dolphin Care include family members of each participant. Today, Island Dolphin Care is an educational and recreational therapy program. The education programs are provided to schools and all visitors. The aquariums and corresponding educational exhibits provide marine science education that stress the importance of conservation efforts. The therapy programs provide professional therapists that are able to assist families with the latest techniques and technologies. The facility houses eight Atlantic bottlenose dolphins and is fully accessible facility. Dina, your story is a miracle. You are a remarkable woman of strength and perseverance and one who listens to her intuition. If not for you, and I'm calling you chutzpah, your son Joe would not be having Uh, would be having a very different experience of life right now, and so would you and many other people if Island Dolphin Care did not touch their lives. Um, I was reading your book, Breaths That Count, and it made me weep with profound sadness and with joy. Uh, God's plan for us, for our life, does not always make sense until we see the blessings keep unfolding, and many times those blessings appear to us as something horrific when they are truly a magnificent path into our divine calling. It's an honor to talk with you today, Dina, and I welcome you to Angel Heart Radio. Thanks so much, Deb, for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk to you about everything that happens at Island Dolphin Care and hopefully reach out to somebody there sitting alone that might need some inspiration tonight. Oh, and I and this is a place for them to be listening because your story is just um, amazing uh, uh, from uh, terrible, terrible uh, problems to triumph for you and your family, your son. Uh, so do you want to share your story a little bit more with us? Sure. Um, so Joe, as you said, was born... Uh, with a rare heart anomaly. It was called truncus arteriosus. And he was born in 1986. In fact, we celebrated his 31st birthday yesterday, which is absolutely a miracle. In 1986, when um, children with truncus arteriosus were born, very often they would pass very quickly. It had a 90% mortality. And that's because we didn't have the technology that we have today. Doctors didn't have the experience of working uh, with heart problems and um, like like open heart surgeries the way they did with Joe. And um, and, and so it, the surgeries that he had, there were five surgeons 
in the world that operated on this at the time, we were advised to go to the surgeon that had performed it the most, and that was 45 times. So uh, it was amazing that uh, we had the opportunity that this doctor was in the United States, and we were able to take Joe there. Um, Even so, his journey was a difficult one. His first surgery was when he was eight weeks old. His next surgery when he was 11 months old. His next surgery was when he was three years old and on and on. He's had five open-heart surgeries, and currently he's in a clinical study uh, with a very special valve. He's had so many surgeries, you just can't keep going through the heart and scar tissue like that. Um, He's amazing. He, you know, we, we had left our home in Colorado with a suitcase of winter clothes and ended up in the state of Florida almost um, a year later because we were running from doctor to doctor in waiting rooms and waiting rooms. It was really Joe who was our teacher because he showed us what he needed. Right. Um, And, you know, in the book, you had talked about that you had to leave Colorado because of the air. Um, Was the altitude. Yeah. Yeah, the altitude was uh, affecting his ability to heal. Well, it, after his first surgery, we went home and we lived at almost 8,000 feet. And so uh, it was very difficult for him to breathe because the air is thinner there. And he mm-hmm. caught a cold and uh, then it was put a lot of stress on his lungs and his heart. And that unfortunately popped open all of the internal sutures from the first surgery which sent us on a, just a tailspin running for his life. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of parents on the line that um, can really relate to what you're talking about that are going through their own issues with their children. So tell us how you came upon uh, the dolphin uh, and, and how that helped Joe. So uh, it had been about three years since uh, my husband and I were able to work. Um, We were depressed. We were angry. We had lost our home. We lost our jobs. Uh, We were taking care of Joe and our daughter, Kate. But Joe was uh, 24-7 care. Like every few hours he needed medication, and, and then his lungs got infected, and so he was having nebulized for treatments, which had to be sterilized in between treatments. So I would give him a treatment and then sterilize the equipment. And the time it took to give him the treatment and sterilize the equipment, the alarm would go off maybe 15, 20 minutes later, and I'd have to start the process all over again. So um, at the time, too, uh, our insurance didn't cover in-home care, and I didn't have family or friends close by. To help me so we were by ourselves it was just Pete and I doing this and it was so incredibly overwhelming so we were running out of money and luckily we we had money that helped us get through the first three years uh, but then things started looking pretty grim and Joe wasn't getting better and my husband took a job outside Florida City uh, which brought us to the Florida Keys just at the time we were moving, the doctor said Joe needed to have another surgery. 
And so we decided, let's go do the surgery first, and then we'll come home, and we'll start over. We can do this. And so we went for the surgery, and that was the surgery where he had the stroke. So Pete ended up having to come home and take care of our daughter and enroll her in a new school while I was in the hospital with Joe until he was well enough to come home. And when I arrived home, I arrived to a new community, not knowing a soul, to boxes, floor to ceiling. Um, it was just over. It was just horrible. And Key Largo at that time in 1990 was really a very rural community, and and I was just so alone. It was just a horrible, horrible time. One day I was very frustrated and um, depressed and hating life, and I... I said to Joe, you know, Mommy needs a little break. Um, and I propped him up on the bed so he could watch Sesame Street. And I went in the next room, and I picked up the local paper. And it was the first time I had been able to do that since we had arrived home. And I was looking at it, and I saw this little ad for an educational facility that had dolphins. And I thought, we just need some fun. And uh, so I called and at first they said no we don't do this and then I must have sounded desperate or I don't know maybe persistent and the owner invited me he said come down during lunch someday and I hung up the phone and it was lunchtime and so I said I guess today's Sunday and Joe <laughs> and I got in the car and I guess this shows how persistent I am we got in yeah. the car and we were five the owner was coming out, and he said, oh, you're not the lady. And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, it's lunchtime, but I didn't mean today. And I just looked at him, and I started crying, and he said, oh, please don't do that. Just come in. And we went down on a dock, and this dolphin, there were eight dolphins in the pool about approximately, and this one seemed like a much bigger then the others came up, and right in front of us, I had Joe in my lap, and I had him propped up in my arms, and he giggled, and I started to cry. And that was really the beginning. I felt Joe try to move forward with his trunk of his body to see where the dolphin went when the dolphin swam away, and doctors had said to me that he was paralyzed, that he wasn't going to be able to move, that, you know, to put him in an institution and get on with our lives. And I couldn't do that. I said to the doctors, as long as I could carry him, he was coming home with us. And we were going to be a family as long as we could. And uh, when I felt Joe try to move, I, that was my first glimmer of hope that uh, maybe if he was trying, he could get better. And so um, I'm a therapist by education. And I started calling my friends and said, I met a dolphin today, and you won't believe what happened. And so I, I really think Joe tried to move. What, how can I help him? What could I do? So I'm a clinical psychiatric social worker, but I've always worked with special children and their families. And so kind of in my back pocket, I knew occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, all the people I needed to give me ideas to help me get going. And so uh, I never left. Here I am still. Island Dolphin Care, um, within two years, Joe was carrying buckets of fish to Fonzie, and um, I volunteered for seven years, and then after seven years, uh, Peter and I uh, founded Island Dolphin Care as a not-for-profit organization to 
help families and uh, children like like us. And the whole idea was that we would fundraise and just bring joy and a wonderful program to other families. And uh, that's how it started. We started uh, actually with a $500 donation from my father. And I mortgaged our truck, which had 200,000 miles on it, for $5,000 and bought a computer and a fax machine. And we worked, our office was our bedroom. And uh, that's how we started. And then in... um, 1997, we ended up um, purchasing four dolphins and land from the facility, and Island Dolphin Care then had its own home. And then we built a building in 2005, which is our facility today. That is a fantastic story. It it is amazing. Yeah, it's um. I, and and I you know to the story myself and I am shocked. Yeah. It it it's yeah. a fabulous story of uh perseverance and um and actually being led um you know being pushed and led uh in all different ways to be where you needed to be. Um and Island Dolphin Care has held um you know a lot of attention from various me- media. Uh, Dean has appeared in many television segments within the United States and internationally, and she has been on the Brian Williams Nightly News, Primetime Live, The Today Show, CNN, Animal Planet, National Geographic TV, Oxygen Network, and CBS News. And Island Dolphin Care has also been the focus of written media, including Exceptional Parent Magazine, Good Housekeeping, and Southern Living. Uh, So, you know... The work that you have done has affected the world. It has. We've been in a lot of media around the world as well. We have, I heard you talking about um, somebody you work with from Australia. We've had clients from Australia as far as Japan, uh, all throughout Europe. We really, you know, our, our, our reach is far and wide. Yeah, um, um, can you, sorry, the microphone was breaking up a little bit. Can you tell people about your therapy program? Because I know we had we had uh, titled this program Animal Assisted Therapy Programs and Unlikely Friendships. So can you tell us a, a little bit about how your program works? Absolutely. Uh, we utilize traditional therapy methods. So... Uh, we just present them in a very unique and fun way. And uh, I found with Joe, who truly is my teacher, when um, he was having fun and something was interesting to him, he would try and work so hard to do anything that would bring him stimulation. But if it was something boring or something that he felt he could not do, or he would fail if he tried. He just wouldn't even bother. He would put his head down and act uninterested and depressed. So a traditional therapist that we went to said to me, I can't work with your son. He's non-compliant. He's resistant. He won't do anything I ask him to do. And it was really fun that showed me that if Joe was having fun, he would do it. 
And I said once to the physical therapist, well, what are you doing with him? And she told me some stuff that she was trying to do in, in her office, which, of course, was very, very valuable. And she was trying to get him to stand on his feet and, and hold weight, you know, maintain weight. And I said to her, well, you know, he wants to ride his bicycle more than anything. He rode a bicycle before he had the stroke. Maybe if we put him on his bicycle and I held his trunk, we could get his feet to move. And the woman looked at me like I was crazy. So I then when we met Fonzie, I thought, well, let me try this. And I said to him, Joe, um, you know, if you want to play with Fonzie, um, you're going to have to use your left hand because he's a left-handed dolphin. And uh, so that was great. Look really getting that hand moving. And if you want to feed him, you know, you see what the trainers do. They stand up and they have to move around. And that means we've got to learn how to walk. And so then 24-7, everything we did at home was about something that was going to help Fonzie and that he would get to play with Fonzie. So Fonzie's favorite toy at the time when we met him was sea beans, no mangrove propules. And we had lots of them around uh, on the ground. And so I would say to Joe, let's pick them up and collect them. So we would just work really hard on getting his arm down. And I would say, whatever you can't do, Mama's going to help you do. You're the I can do kid, and we're going to do this together. And so everything was an inch by inch, and it was grueling. And friends of mine um, said, I can't even watch you because you're just not accepting anything. You're in denial. He's not going to get better. Why don't you listen to the doctors? And I looked at them, and I said, if it's really hard for you to watch, don't watch. Because if I don't try, I'm going to fall apart. And it was really about me. I, I said to myself, I made a deal with myself and God, I have to get up every day and try something. Because if I don't try, then I'll never know. I'll never know. And so I can't just sit down and watch this. And so that's what my motivation was. I made a promise to Joe and myself that we were just going to keep trying. And it was grueling. And there were times when I thought, it's never going to get better. And I'm really putting a lot of pressure on him. But then all of a sudden he would do something, and I would go, oh, my God, he's lifting his head up. And he started doing it. And he could hold his head up for two seconds. And I would go, well, Joe, if you can hold your head up for two seconds, you can hold it for three. And I would play games with him at home where um, I would put pillows all around him and say, you know, you can sit up, and if you don't sit up, you're going to fall on the pillow, so it's okay, you won't get hurt. And sure enough, it took, it was grueling, but he eventually learned to sit, and when he started to fall, he eventually learned to put a hand out to hold himself. And then when he learned to sit, we could go sit on the dock, and the dock was floating and it would move back and forth and that gave him a lot of input for balance. And I'd go, well, Fonzie just got really excited and he swam by. You know what that means? You're going to fall over if you don't hold yourself. And he would hold himself up. And I was always there to catch him and so he didn't fall. You know, so we, we became a team and Fonzie became part of that team. And little by little, Joe learned to do different things. 
um, he could eventually open his hand, which was fisted. Um, we were able to put a fish in his left hand and hold it over the water, and I would have to help him at first. And Fonzie would jump up and take it. Um, he learned to hold the ball and throw it to Fonzie. He, everything was just inch by inch. It was just a magical time and fun for him and a beautiful thing to be a part of. And so then I took all of that and applied it to traditional therapy and broke things down in approximations that therapists do in traditional clinical settings. And I said, well, how can I make this fun for kids? And I started bringing in toys and paintbrushes, and we would paint dolphins, and we would um, just play all kinds of games that had to do with dolphins. And I found that if I put something out of a child's reach, but it was something they were interested in, they would try really hard to get it, and they would do the best. And nobody wants to be sick, and nobody wants to fail. So if I made it something that was important to them, they would do their best and they would try. And if people began to see the tiniest change, they would work harder to make that change a little bit better. And then if kids look up and see their parents laughing and smiling, they're feeling great inside that, wow, usually my mom or my dad are upset or sad but I just made them laugh and smile. So then that also encouraged Joe and others to try harder. So we started developing games with the dolphins, playing with toys with the dolphins, um, getting tips to the feet uh, to flex his foot and get his ankle moving and um, holding rings so that he could learn to open and shut his hand. I'd say, Fonzie wants to take that ring, you have to give it to him. So then he'd have to open his fingers to let it go. And everything we did uh, was fun and interesting and empowering, and everybody started having a good time. And then I brought siblings and parents and started seeing the power of bringing everybody together, not just working with the identified patient, but working with the whole family. And uh, honestly, I said to doctors later, you know, Joe isn't the only one in our family that had a stroke. We're, we've all been immobilized by this. And that was the light bulb that went off that this was family work. Yeah, for sure. I, you can't go through something like that and it not affect everybody. Um, right. It's, yeah, it, it just, it's just not possible uh, when but somebody you love... Right, but very often it's the family that's in the waiting room, and the identified patient goes in for the clinic to the clinician, and then the family has not a clue what's going on in there. And then when they get home, they can't follow through with skills or or feel disempowered by well, the therapist knows what to do, but I'm, I could never do that. I don't know how. And right. So at Island Health and Care, we teach everybody. Everybody's involved. The entire family is involved in the process and because they're having fun together they're learning together their uh, communication gets better with one another their relationships strengthen and uh, they learn new skills and and it's fabulous you know just being on your property which i've had the pleasure of doing now twice 
uh, in the last couple of months. It, it's a magical place just to begin with. Uh, just having the dolphins there is it creates a beautiful atmosphere, a peaceful atmosphere. And I had the opportunity to touch and kiss a dolphin. Uh, and that was, for me, just, you know, I had terrible fears of uh, large animals in the, you know, in the water or anywhere, really. And uh, so just for me to be able to do that was significant in moving me past some of my own fears. And it, it was just a beautiful experience. It was magical to me. Um, so right. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a child or a family actually getting in there and doing all of this wonderful work and seeing opportunities for progress and healing. Um, now, I have a caller on the line, and I think I know who it is, but I don't know uh, if your number starts uh, ends with 2223. Can you please uh, let me know if you want to speak? You can press 1, um, and if you just want to listen, you don't have to press any numbers. So um, I, I think they're just listening. Okay. Oh nope, she pressed one, and I believe it's Marietta. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm oh, gonna wow. open her mic. Hi, Marietta. It is, and everything is working perfectly. I'm looking so forward to going to the fundraiser on Saturday night. It's such a great cause. I love the work that Island Dolphin Care has been doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Marietta, you've been to other, um, you've been to Island Dolphin Care before. Can you describe what it's like for you? Oh, it was magical. I was also there one time with the garden club, and we did some trimming of the shrubs and the trees in the beautiful garden that they have right next to the dolphin pools. It's it's so peaceful and and uh, just a a really incredible place. Everybody that goes there feels that wonderful energy. Yes, they Thank do. You. I know. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, Dina, uh, do you want to tell some of the um, cases that you've worked with uh, to to um, help people understand some of the shifting that can happen and healing um, that you've experienced with people? Because I think those are really um, important that people get to hear some of those stories. Sure. And, you know, before I do that, I just want to say one thing, Deb. We work with a lot of people that have tremendous anxiety. You know, they've seen terrible things in their lives. They've experienced difficulty or like yourself it could be something like just being afraid of animals or dark water or you know just a fear of things larger and something that I find myself saying a lot to people after they've had that kiss or that magical moment in their experience I will look at them and I'll say very um, sincerely you know, the next time you're anxious about something or you're looking at a situation and you're going, I don't know I can do this. I'm feeling anxious or scared or there's this old message in your head telling you why you can't do it. Please remember this moment. 
remember that you too were frightened and then you did it and something wonderful happened. So that not everything that's scary or causes anxiety is actually uh, something to be afraid of. It can actually turn out to be magical like this moment. And uh, that's a very powerful anchor for people. And I get letters all the time from people that say, you know, after this experience, I found myself doing so many more things that I would have never done before. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. you know that's a small example of how it impacts people. We, um, you know, I spoke a little bit about the traditional therapy that we do both on land and in water with folks that come here. One of the things that I'm so proud about is that we have computers that utilize eye gaze and our speech activated. So imagine your eyes being the mouth of a computer. You can look at the start button. You can look at programs, and it opens up. You can email with your eyes, uh, using a keyboard with your eyes. You can turn lights on or lights off or call, make a phone call or um, just put pictures up and and. You can ask somebody a question like, here are the pictures of all of the things that we can do today. What would you like to do? Just look at the picture and tell me, and the computer will speak. So we've given voices to people that have never, ever spoken a word. And that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And it's happened numerous, numerous times with this technology. And the power of that is, you know, I, I every time I just, sob. It's amazing to watch a child who's eight years old and never been able to speak look at the computer and look at a picture of their mommy and then the voice says, I want to play with my mom. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic. That that is, um, that's profound. It is. It is. It it is. um, for that child and for everybody else experiencing the family to uh, be able to express themselves is uh, is amazing. It's uh, the technology is amazing because you don't find technology like that around uh, in many places. And, and the other thing is is that very often when there's a nonverbal person, our culture or cultures assume that the person isn't cognitive and they're not intelligent. And in actuality, I've met many, many, many nonverbal people that are extremely intelligent. That's uh, that's amazing, and that's very true because I think that we just make assumptions, uh, just sort of like what the doctors made assumptions about what Joe was able to do, and you've proved proved them all wrong. But the doctors didn't know. I mean, in 1990, how many children had strokes? Or right. open heart surgery or successful. I mean, there was no, um, there was no precedent for this. I mean, I called the National Head Injury Association, and they said, "I'm sorry, we don't work with children that have had strokes." I called the American Heart Association. They said, "No, we don't serve children." I called, um, what was it, the Association for Retarded Citizens, and they said, "Well, your son's not retarded." I called United Cerebral Palsy. Well, he doesn't have cerebral palsy. We were, we didn't fit anywhere. So what yeah, that's, we're doing is unprecedented. 
It was nobody's fault. They didn't have the information or the knowledge. You know, the computer I was talking about, I think, was developed for people with ALS who have intelligence and lose the ability to use their hands or to speak clearly. And so the computer technology, the software was developed. And when I saw it, it was in Sweden. And we purchased it. The first one we purchased was $17,000. And it was Publix, our neighborhood grocery store, that helped me to uh, get that computer. And the first time I put it in front of somebody and they were able to use it and had a voice, I was astounded. I was astounded. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with a 30-year-old man who had um, muscular dystrophy, who lost the ability to use his hands and was in a wheelchair. And although he had speech, he could not have a private conversation on the phone because he couldn't hold the phone or dial it. And so a caregiver always had to hold the phone for him or dial the phone, or he would have to um, tell the caregiver, type in this email, and I showed him this machine, and he started to cry. And I said to him, why are you crying? And he looked at me, and he said, that's the first private email I've sent since I've lost uh, my ability. Wow. He said, I could talk with somebody privately now. And that gives that's the person, amazing. yeah, it gives them back their dignity, you know. Right. Yeah, their independence. Right. Empowering. So, you Amazing. know, a lot of people think that island dolphin care is just about dolphins, but we're not. The dolphins are a small part of uh, what families experience when they come here, but it's also the part that very often is the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. And that's the therapy program. Right, and it's so different yeah. because, you know, usually people have not had the experience to swim with dolphins or meet a dolphin, and so that experience in itself is so extraordinary that you have no repertoire to plan, like when I meet a dolphin, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to feel this. There's no repertoire. With other animals, we, you know, we're so used to dogs. We're so used to cats and horses. It's not that they're not therapeutic. They are, and they can be tremendous companions and soothing, and there's lots of research that shows that having an animal around um, excuse me, monitors or lowers your blood pressure and um, people feel less anxious, especially veterans that have dogs now. Um, with, with dolphins, you just don't have a repertoire. And so I think the potential for change is so great. Yeah. People so happy. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are interested in dolphins. Um, There's a a great interest in people love dolphins. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say in particular about, you know, you have an extensive team there, too, that help you um, with this work. Yeah, we have, so we have two teams. We have a therapy team, which is made up of uh, professional therapists, uh, master's level recreational therapists, special ed teachers, myself, and a clinical psychiatric social worker. 
And then we have animal behaviorists, a zoologist, and a full-time marine mammal veterinarian that oversees the care of the animals. And I can't stress enough that if animals aren't cared for properly, they can't be in a, they can't be therapeutic. So right. the animals have to be cared for. Not every animal is good is a good therapy animal. There's a certain personality. There's they have to be willing participants to be that co therapist. And there has to be a standard of ethics. And there has to be uh, a standard that says we're going to ask the animals to do this or we've never asked the animals to do that. And I think that that is extraordinarily important because most people think, oh, dolphins, we'll just go swim with dolphins and it will be therapeutic. But not all dolphins are good therapy dolphins. And they're not all therapeutic. And it's the methods that we utilize together as a team that creates therapy. That's fascinating. And because people would want to know those those questions, like how do you how do you figure those things out? And um, but this is all training um, plus personality is what what I'm hearing you say. It's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, so you know, William Glasser years ago when I was in school, I read a book on. I think it was called Reality Therapy. And in that book, he talks about that you you can have all the education in the world, but if you're disingenuous, there's no therapy that's going to happen. People have to be able to feel you really care about them. And he was he would say in his book, many people get better just because they're cared for, mm. truly, authentically, and genuinely cared for. You can have a therapist with PhDs, a lot of PhDs, but they may have a very kind of cold uh, way of carrying themselves, and they're the person delivering the therapy. Nothing's going to happen. There has right. to be a relationship. And that's true for the therapist, the family, the child, the participant, the dolphin, and the animal care specialist. That's a yeah. That's an awful lot, and you know, I think people have also some questions about how um, how you get your dolphins. Um, you know that you know you're talking about how they're treated. They're treated very very well from what I've seen, um, and what from what you explain. But um, you you can't just go out and get dolphins in, into the no, ocean. No, you can't. No, it's against the law. Um, you know, many people, because of um, recent stories in the media, think that, you know, facilities go out and can get dolphins. You can't, and it's not been legal to do that uh, for a very, very long time, like since the 80s, early 1990, uh, the Marine Mammal Protection Act came into effect, and it's illegal to even be within 500 yards of a marine mammal out in the ocean. So um, there are very, very strict laws and very, very strict regulations. Uh, We are strictly regulated by uh, USDA, who can pop in and and do an inspection, and it's very similar to restaurants. If they walk in and they see one fish tail on one of our buckets, they can write us up. I mean, 
very, very strict standards, very high standards for facilities to uh, be able to even care for animals. So uh, there's a lot of misinformation about uh, dolphins in human care and managed care uh, out there, and largely that's really a fault of the media because we're a very small organization, and uh, it's not a sensational story. Right, right. Wow. Well, those are those are great information for people because I know those are things that come to mind when I talk to people about dolphins. And mm-hmm. do you also do? Did you want to talk a little bit about the fundraiser that you're having Saturday? Sure, uh, I'd love to. We are sold out. There's over 200 people that are going to be coming in attendance, and we have many items that are available for auction, and uh, people have been so incredibly, incredibly generous. This year, it's um, so important for us to raise as much money as possible because one of the things we didn't talk about was Hurricane Irma and how it has um, dramatically affected our facility we lost mm-hmm. our elevators that are over $100,000 to replace. We lost the docks. Um, those are over $100,000 to replace. All the cheeky huts and the shade are gone outside. Our beautiful garden that Marietta was speaking about uh, really took a massive hit, and almost everything in the garden is not coming back. I mean, some of it may still. I'm giving it some time to see because plants are extraordinarily resilient. Um, we lost our touch tanks, our invertebrate exhibit, um, our portable touch tank, uh, so much. I mean, so, so much. So the loss that we took was a three to $500,000 loss, also because we could not work with families. You can't ask families with children with disabilities or people in wheelchairs because you can't bring them in the building or get them outside or the doctor broken, we have to be operating and be able to provide a very safe program. And the hurricane affected our abilities to do just that. Um, currently, we have a foundation, the Pat Moran Family Foundation, and they have initiated a $1 million challenge grant. They will match dollar for dollar up to a million dollars that we are able to raise. Uh, although the fundraiser Saturday night is omitted from that um, campaign. So anybody who chooses to make a donation by going through our website or sending um, something in the mail to uh, Island Dolphin Care, if they say, um, I would want my donation to be matched or write P-O-D on the envelope, which means uh, pod, it's a cute little way of saying join our pod, Friends uh, of People, Oceans, and Dolphins, and uh, the Patrimonium Family Foundation will match dollars for dollars. So that's pretty exciting. We need that. Um, my goal eventually for these animals is to uh, find them a bigger place, a sanctuary. They're going to outlive us, uh, my husband and I. And, uh, you know, it's almost 7 o'clock, and I'm still at work, and I've been here since 7 this morning, and that's almost every day. So uh, we, we really, really, really hope to um, 
you know, some people leave trust funds for their kids. Our hope is to have an endowment uh, that, that we can leave behind that will care for these animals and see them through the rest of their life in the same quality of care that we provide for them now, if not better. You know, I don't, I don't know that there's better, but um, I'm hoping, like with Joe, things will evolve and better equipment's going to come up and we're going to find better and better ways to protect and clean the oceans and keep their world uh, safer and more beautiful. That's that's beautiful uh, commitment, and uh, and you were mentioning, you know, that the dolphins live fairly long in managed care. Um, do you want to? Ta- I don't know if people know that. Just uh, uh, so there's um, it's called Hera H E R A, and it's health uh, environmental. I don't know if I'm, I get all the all of it right, but it's health assessment for animals, marine mammals in um, living in the ocean. And there are people, veterinarians and people that are trained that go out and um, test the waters and the, and the numbers of animals and samples every year to see in the same areas how are the animals in the wild doing. And uh, off the coast of Florida, just about two hours north, of here near the Indian River, the average lifespan for a wild bottlenose Atlantic dolphin is 10 years. And in managed care, it's, the average is about 45 years. But we know of Nellie, who was in her 60s when she passed away. And just recently, uh, there was another dolphin that passed away in another facility in the Keys that was in her 60s. So uh, when these animals are cared for, correctly, uh, they live very long and fruitful lives. And uh, people make a lot of comments about, well, they're captive or they do shows or they do this or they, you know, they're made to do something. I'm going to tell you really, and this is common sense, you can't make a 700-pound animal do anything they don't want to do. They're not going to come to a job. There's nothing you can do. And when we have programs in the animals, there's shrimp jumping or or, um, glass minnows or fun fish comes in the the pool or something from the ocean and swims in and the dolphins take off. The family will go, where did they go? Where did my dolphin go? And I go, well, they're playing with shrimp or they're fishing. We can't make them come back. That's really interesting to them and fun for them. So... We have to celebrate them and the fact that they're these magnificent animals that have creativity and, and can make choices, and that's their choice right now, and that's wonderful. So, um, you know, people say we're, you make these animals do things. We, you can't make them do anything, and food is never withheld from them. And there's lots of food for them to eat all day and all night long, in where they live here because we're, we live in a natural ocean lagoon. So, you know, they do, sometimes we ask them to jump and do other things. They need to be active. They are all muscle, and they need to problem solve, and they need to think because they're in a smaller area uh, than the big wide ocean. And I'm the first person to say I wish I had a sanctuary for them to go to, and I would love to find that for them. But you know what? 
property cost off the coast of Florida that's perfectly, beautifully clean and deep and meets with all the USDA requirements. And it's against the law to let them out. So they have to be in human care now for the rest of their life. There are many, many regulations. So, um, you know, unless something comes my way, this is where they're going to be, and we're going to provide the best well, that's that's wonderful. That that's an awful lot of information. I think that are very useful for people in understanding what it is actually to manage uh, to to house dolphins and what it, what it is. And and the law does at times make it difficult, as you say, to even that you can't even let them out now that they have to stay in they do and that's because years ago people went and and because the animals used to be allowed to go out and play in the ocean and down the canal from us and then it went to court and and the government said well if people aren't educated and these animals are so used to being with people if the animals approach people in the ocean or people approach the animals and they don't know the right thing to do, then it could be unsafe for the animals. So that's why they made um, all the facilities kind of lock their gates and not let them out again. So it is against the law, and it's against the law to approach a wild animal. And I have to say that there are a lot of people that speak to me, well, I want to swim with wild dolphins. And um, my answer to that is, I would, too. I would love that experience. But what if the animal that you find in the wild is having a baby and in labor? Are you going to know that? Mm. What if they're, what if they're um, having sex or, you know, are, are you going to know that? Do you want to get in the middle of something that you don't know? Mm-hmm. To me, that's way more dangerous than uh, coming to a facility like ours and experiencing this amazing thing in a controlled setting where you know that you're going to be safe. Right. And and the help that is given to uh, children or adults and families uh, through the methods that you're using with them is mm-hmm. it would be a great loss if this was not happening. I mean... You know, just the experience I had, I thought would have been, you know, I wouldn't want to given up that experience to be in a safe place and with people that know what they're doing and um, be able to um, move through some fears. So um, the what you're doing is just, it's, and that's just minimal compared to some of the uh, stories that I've heard you um, you know, talk about of of the progress that people have made in your care for with your therapy. Thank you. It's now, extraordinary. Yeah. It, it is. It is. Um, it's uh, it, it is a miracle, and I guess that that also shows us that you know there are no limitations. Um, that if you um, if you keep trying, that you know you can you can achieve, you can make changes, you can find alternative ways um, if, if you're persistent and, um, and your heart's in it. 
I think that's true, but I also think that there are things that sometimes happen that, for whatever reason, it's out of our control to think. And, um, you know, we can keep trying. And I think in that instance, when um, that is the case, I mean, you can keep trying, but if nothing changes, then nothing changes. But we maybe the task then is to find a way to live through the adversity or the obstacle and still experience joy. And yes. that, to me, most important ingredient uh, when I was really struggling I if somebody said that to me I would have said what do you mean how could anybody be happy look at my life this is just a nightmare and it was but what Fonzie taught me was to laugh again and I needed so much to know that despite everything I was facing day in and day out that I could still laugh and I was in there somewhere and I remember once sitting next to the side of uh, the area where she was and looking at him and thinking, wow, um, you taught me to laugh again. You taught me that I can still have fun, and this is the most magical experience because I needed to know I could do that. That gave me the power to keep going. Mm. That is a, a beautiful um, share um, and you talked about that also in your book, um, Breaths That Count, that um, being able to still experience joy while you are going through hardship and that you're allowed to laugh and have fun um, and remembering that to. that's still, yeah, you have to. You have to because that's what keeps you going. That's what feeds you. And I had this idea, and I think it's going to work, it's coming to true to be true now that people are doing research about it. But if your brain, if the area of your brain that experiences pleasure and joy isn't used, your brain is a muscle. So we know if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So mm-hmm. if you're always talking about problems and the area of your brain houses the problems and sadness and all of these things that are happening that are not good, if you're always talking about what's not good, and you're always talking about the sadness or the things that aren't um, feeding you well, then that's the side of the brain that gets exercised and lit up more often. And so that's going to be what's the biggest focus. And if you don't change that pattern, then you don't balance. And I think we need that balance. And that is also a gift that Fonzie gave to me was when I was in the water, when I was playing, he taught me I could play. Yeah, I still had to go home, and I still had to deal with Joe being sick, and I still had to deal with more heart surgery, and I still have to deal. He still has more to go, I'm sure, Um, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Mm -hmm. What a great message. You know, when the hurricane happened, people said, how are you coping? And I said, sleepless, exhausted, and I'm cranky. But I I must be good at this already. I I know it's going to be okay. We're fine. I'm pretty good at dealing with this kind of stuff. I just need to muck through the muck. I'm going to keep walking. I'm just going forward because that's how I'm going to get there. I'm not staying in it. That's, uh, that's what I've learned. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful message, and it actually is the way that you have been able to that that talks about you and how you have moved through your life and dealt with all of these things that have come to you, and uh, and so I honor you for that. Now we only have about a minute left, so if you want to give people information of how to contact you. Um, the Great. website, a phone phone number, whatever it is that you would like to say. Sure. I think uh, the website right now would be wonderful. It's www.islanddolphincare.org. Um, certainly you can call, but please don't call after, until after Monday because um, we have tomorrow and Saturday, and Saturday night is our auction, and we are frantically preparing for that. Um, so, but if, you know, if you have a question, email me. I answer all of my emails. Um, it may take me a day, but I promise I will answer. And the email is Fonzie, F O N Z I E, at islanddolphincare.org. And uh, that is my email because it is my way to keep uh, Fonzie in my heart always. Oh, that's great. And, and yes, and people can still make donations by going on to www.islanddolphincare.org. And I don't know if people can also bid on auction items if they wanted, if they're not attending. They have to register, and the registration is right there on the website. Okay. But they would also have to be willing to pay for shipping. Okay. Okay. Well, that's very good to know. And, Dina, I just want to thank you for being here with me tonight. Um, This was a great show, and I hope that your message has gotten out to a much larger audience and that people are interested in what you are doing and that if anybody needs your services, I believe what you have applications on your website. We do, and we provide scholarships to those that need financial assistance. We don't pay for travel to get here or lodging, but we do help with the cost of the therapy um, should that be needed. So um, hopefully it won't keep anybody away. If you need us, we're here. Okay. Well, thank you. I feel so honored and blessed. It's such a privilege to bring our listeners, all of my inspirational hosts, and to Angel Heart Radio, and everyone I have interviewed has brought so much love, wisdom to all of us, and for that, I am very grateful to be part of this beautiful, sacred space. Thank you, Anaya, and thank you, Dina, for being here. When in doubt, never... You, oh, you're welcome. When in doubt, never underestimate the power of prayer. You are being listened to and heard throughout the universe, and it always responds with infinite and eternal love. Remember to go inside and listen through your heart for the whispers of heaven. I love you, and God bless you. You've been listening to another fabulous program on Angel Heart Radio. Our goal is to remind you of how much you matter in the world and to let you know that we appreciate who you are in the world. You can check out who's on, when we're on, and who our guests are at angelheartradio.com. Everything is there. It's all just one click away. Angel Heart Radio programs are powerful tools to help you in your life and your life experience. They are not intended, nor should they, be used to replace your medical or legal advice. 
the views expressed by hosts, co-hosts, callers, guests and associates should not be construed as advice from Angel Heart Radio.